Welcome to an advisor's point of view, Kaslev Capital's new podcast series for financial advisors. I'm your host, Simon Cooper, head of DFM Relationship Management at Kaslev Capital. Today, our guest is Gillian Hepburn, Schroeder's Head of Intermediary Solutions. Gillian works with financial advisors across the country, ensuring they have the information and tools they need to help their clients. Gillian joined Schroeder's in 2019, following an extensive career at Standard Life and consulting roles with a range of platform providers and financial advisors. Gillian, thanks for joining us. Delighted to be here, Simon. Thank you for having me. Can you start today telling us a little bit about your background and how it informs uh, your work that you do? Yeah, sure. Um, Well, I have to say I joined the industry over 30 years ago now. Um, So I have, I guess, a lot of experience. Um, But actually, I I think I thought hard about this question. And I I think um, having a massive focus on the customer has absolutely, you know, informed the work I do today. And that probably started way back before um, before I went to university when I worked at, at Boots, you know, Boots the chemist shop, um, a good old Thursday night, Saturday girl. And it was instilled in us from a really early age that the customer was m- the most important person. And I think having that in the back of my mind all, all the way through my career has really, I guess, informed the work I do today. And if I, I think about the asset management industry and what we do, Simon, um, and also advisors, you know, we, we've earned the right or we have to earn the right to manage, protect and grow what is people's hard-earned cash often at the end of the day. And it's, it's therefore really important that we never lose sight of that. Um, I often talk about um, the man from the Prue um, in terms of, you know, what, what what is this all about in terms of our industry and, you know, for, with in terms of encouraging people to save and invest, um, without the industry, I certainly wouldn't have been able to, you know, afford my first property, shall I say, because my parents <laughs> saved really hard to do that. And um, so we've just got to bear in mind that the customers has got to be at the heart of everything that we do. Brilliant. I mean, it's very, it's interesting to hear that after 30 years, you're still learning, which is good to hear. But yeah, also that you're still talking about the man from the Prue, which, which <laughs> I think more people need to talk about the man from the Prue. And one, one area of, of interest for me has always been on, on, on demographics, and I wanted to focus on that today, in particular with, with UK advisors. But before we do, I don't think we could do a podcast without actually touching on the events of the last couple of years, where the pandemic has been very unsettling time for, for all, almost all of us. How do you think that has impacted the, the advisor community, community? And I suppose, do you think that is going to be a lasting impact? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. And, and maybe we're still too close to the event, aren't we, to, to really understand exactly what the impact has been and and whether it will last. I mean, clearly, we see this massive shift towards the use of technology, both in terms, you know, particularly in terms of engaging with with our customers. Um, And I think, you know, certainly some of that will remain, but already we're seeing a move to back to face to face again. And I don't know if it's the same in your side of the business, but you know people are really keen to get back out there and meet. We're, we're, yeah, you know we're social animals, aren't we? Um, yeah. But in terms of you know some of the other things I'm seeing in the advisor space, um, you know people in some respects have hit the reset button and really thought about their their lives and their future. And um, you know what we're seeing is a, an increasing activity in the kind of mergers, acquisition, succession planning. Um, part of our industry so that's quite interesting and um, 
And I think what we're also seeing is certainly from an investment perspective, a significant rise in advisors looking at outsourcing their investment proposition. And we've asked why that might be. And they said, you know, quite frankly, the pandemic in some respects and the, the extreme volatility in the market kind of spooked them. And whilst clients are, are actually, if they remained invested and, and held their nerve, are actually, uh, you know, in a very good place. But clearly that um, that initial free fall almost, if we could call it that, caused some real concerns and advisors said they, they had some really difficult conversations with advisors and and decided with sorry advisors with their clients and decided that you know maybe there was a different way of um of managing client investments um so I think that's been an interesting shift certainly our advisor survey is continually telling us that there is a move to that but I, th- I think another point though Simon is it absolutely helped advisors to demonstrate the value of ongoing advice. Because as we know, that's always under threat, isn't it? Uh, you know, what are clients paying for on an ongoing basis? But for those advisors who really held clients' hands during the last year, year and a half, and helped them to stay invested, um, have really demonstrated the value that they add to clients. Um, whereas I'm not so sure if clients were paying for advice when they need it, might have behaved in the same way. I'm not sure if your thoughts would align with that. Yeah, yeah no, I think it does certainly from, from, from our side of the business as well. It's been a very interesting 18 months. And I think advisors have looked at the way their whole businesses are run, not, not just the investment side. Um, so yeah. it's sort of created a few opportunities for them as well. But I suppose in a way that that, that leads nicely on to, to the next question, which I know you you, you have an, is an area you focused on, which is intergenerational wealth transfer. And that, that comes across quite a technical term. Um, but, but in reality, it'll be a, a trend that advisors are very familiar with. Older generations have accumulated unprecedented levels of wealth. And over the coming years, it, it's going to go somewhere. It's going to go to their children and their grandchildren. So I suppose my first question is, what does intergenerational wealth transfer and that very sort of moment of moving between the, the generations mean for advisors? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a great question, isn't it, Simon? I could do a whole podcast on this one. <laughs> um, I, I think it's a fascinating topic, you know. Uh, but my question is, is it, is it an opportunity or is it actually a threat for advisor businesses? Um, you know, we, we hear about this um, huge opportunity of 5.5 trillion moving across the generations over the next 30 years. Um, and, and many advisors say, well, well, that's fine, but I'll, I'll just get on with doing what I'm doing now because 30 years is quite some distance away. And I would actually say that, that it's happening now. It's mm. happening now and we're beginning to see that. You know, you mentioned grandparents passing on wealth. So we're seeing a lot of people looking at skipping generations, for example, yeah. and, you know, for, for all, all the right reasons or, or the wrong reasons if you're <laughs> the one that's been skipped. Um, but um, the, the big challenge for advisors is the statistic that 65% of people inheriting wealth will not, um, will not use their parents' advisor. And, and I guess we have to ask why that is, because if that's the case, then advisors, particularly those, and I talked earlier about advisors looking to sell their business and succession planning, you know, at the very point where they're trying to sell their business, potentially, we have money that's moving from one generation to the next and potentially out the door. I've actually started to talk about this in the context of 
the great wealth uh, retention strategy rather than transfer strategy because it's about trying to maintain um, and engage that wider family and and keep that money within the business. Um, so I think we're yeah we're at a really interesting inflection point on all of that at this point in time. And can I can I just build on that as quite an interesting stat the fact that the number of uh, clients that actually leave advisors once the money's been passed through the generation and if it's anything like me that you know everything my father did I want to do the absolute opposite to is, is that a, is that a, is that a, is that a trust issue do you think or is that just simply that they don't have the advisor hasn't put the relationship in place what are, what has the advisor got to do to, what's what's the response got to be from the advice industry yeah you, you're absolutely right so first of all is 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 a, I guess a bit of a wake-up call in that it's happening now and and it's about engaging that next generation. Um, I read recently that less than 14% of advisors actually have a connection to that next generation. Oof. And, and you know, we, we hear the reasons for that, right? And advisors, you know, if I, think, if I look back to post-retail distribution review, advisors have absolutely done the right thing. They've professionalised the business. They've, um, they've worked with... Um, typically wealthier clients because they've been there yeah you know you just have to look at pensions freedom and the opportunities that that's given um and therefore there's maybe not been a need to engage with that next generation in the wider family so i think the first point really is um it, it, it's got to be an engagement strategy here and it can be quite simple because again advisors often say well you know I, I don't have a proposition for that next generation I won't make any money from them and I might not even have the skills within my business but I think engagement sometimes Simon can just be quite straightforward and simple um, and it, it doesn't always need to be profitable um, you know and the example I give is um, you know, my my son has just moved to Dubai to take up a job, and he's um. So there's, I have an advisor. You know, his father's got an advisor, and actually, he does have a buy to let mortgage. So there's three advisors that could have connected with him, just to very simply say, "We hear you're off. Congratulations on the job. Do you understand what the tax position over there is for when you've got any excess money?" Um, and and that's just about getting in front of him. So I think there are interesting ways advisors can just make sure that their brand is in front of that next generation. So it's lighter touch points, I suppose, Absolutely. with them but at the same time trying not to alienate the older generation or in, in this example, the ones that are actually holding the money at the moment. Correct. Correct. You know, I'm quite, you know, interesting to statistics Simon um because you know I love numbers 76 um, percent <laughs> of people inheriting wealth want to see an advisor at the point of transfer so I guess the argument is um well why don't we engage with them earlier than that yeah yeah and um but we also have to understand the family dynamics don't we because um you know, many people now have a fear of passing on wealth should they require it. Yeah, so care homes are a great example of that. Um, so they're, And they also have a fear of passing on wealth where, uh, quite frankly, it, it might be, I'm going to say, squandered. <laughs> but you know, they, care, they care very much about what their family are going to do with their money. So equally, often when we, we look at the research, these parents passing on wealth also want their children to see an advisor mm. there is a demand there um it's just all about how we make those connections and how we do it um in a way that maintains i guess the advisor's business 
in front of that next generation. And it absolutely is in the advisor's best interest for future business. So, I mean, it's, it, totally. it certainly seems like something they've got to be concentrating on. So, I mean, that's, that's very interesting, Gillian. And so, I mean, I suppose the, the younger clients, everybody, a lot of people are talking about it, but they expect, they expect a lot more of a digital experience, don't yeah. they, these days? I mean, how, how do you think the industry is doing in making that transition? And do you think it's going to mean for the face-to-face contact that advisor, that many advisors really value? Are, are we, are we going to stop that? Are we going to worry about giving that up? Is it going to affect their business? How do you think that's, that's going? Yeah, it's a great question, isn't it? Particularly given the rise in the use of technology that we've seen. Um, And I I do think you're absolutely right. Younger clients expect a more digital experience. And that's something I've been talking about in the broader context of wealth transfer. You know, here's an interesting one. Um, I'm not sure if anybody that's listening uses TikTok. Um, (laughs) I did a a bit of research using it um, a few weeks ago. The hashtag investing has had over a billion views on TikTok, right? So, so somebody is engaging with that next generation, and um, and 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 probably as a result, a lot of that money. Um, and I can speak as a <laughs> as somebody who's aware of young people doing this. Their <laughs> money's getting invested in crypto, right? So, so you know, somebody is engaging with that next generation, but maybe not in the traditional way that we would. Um, I read a great article recently where um, a young person said of advisors, you know, they need to get into my world because I'm not going to get into theirs. Well, that, that's mm. quite a powerful statement, isn't it? And I, I, <laughs> I, I don't think it's necessarily dancing on TikTok, right? But I think there's really simple ways that advisors can, can look at technology opportunities to engage with that next generation, even if it's simple um, digital content. Or there's some great apps out there that they can use within the business, white label them and encourage young people to engage in their finances where they can get nudges on, on you know, different aspects of their um, of their finances. So I think there's I think there's opportunities. I also think there's still always going to be a place for face to face contact. Absolutely. So I think, yeah. So I, th- I think it's about having a broad range of engagement opportunities. But. But, but really starting to think about this whole rise of technology. I mean, even the FCA are on TikTok now. So uh, wow. certainly some interesting times ahead. Yeah. Well, it certainly sounds like I need to sit down with my teenage daughters to get them to explain TikTok to me. But, to- but another side of what they often talk to me about is sustainability uh, and, yeah. and how that fits into it. And, and some of the immediate challenge for advisors appears to be regulatory. But I wonder what your thoughts are on over the long term, especially when it comes to to the demographic issue, whether sustainability is 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 going to continue to be a, a key driver for advisors? Yeah, it, it's a great question because obviously with COP26 just finishing, it's massively high on people's agenda. We've just finished our annual um, advisor survey where we asked about the impact of um, COP26, just as an example. And they said that I think um, well over 60% of advisors uh, said that they fully expected a rise in demand for sustainable investments as a result mm-hmm. of that. So I actually don't think it's necessarily a demographic issue anymore in terms of only young people want to um, to do good with their money. Um, and I think also talking to young people about sustainability is a great way of, of getting on their agenda and educating because anytime we speak about it, you know, it's a great topic uh, in terms of how we can invest um, to better um, people and planet. Um, and so 
education and engagement is, is really important here. And I don't necessarily think it's a, a demographic issue anymore. Um, interesting, obviously, from an advisor perspective, you know, we have got regulatory changes, I think, heading in our direction. We've seen the FCA papers on the new taxonomy, um, which I was on a call the other day dis- discussing and debating that. And I think there's some interesting there's some interesting things going on in terms of how we ensure consistency across the industry, you know, how we all research, um, how we describe sustainability and the investment offerings that we have. So I think we're, I think, you know what, I think we're still on a journey with all of this, but it's certainly firmly on the radar. And, you know, certainly for us, and I'm sure um, you're the same, Simon, our role in educating uh, financial advisors and also therefore their clients is has got to be, you know, front and foremost at the moment. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, interesting, you, you mentioned the word the regulator. If I sit down with an advisor, that seems to be all they all they talk about. Are there any other issues you think that they face uh, or the industry faces over the next couple of years? Yes, um, we're the same. Interestingly, again, go back to the advisor survey. Year on year on year, we ask about the um, the challenges that they're facing as we move into the next year. We always do the survey in November. And um, the, the top two challenges are always the same, uh, regulation and PI cover. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and this year I've decided to do a bit of a deeper dive rather than say, oh, yeah, every year it's regulation. What, what do we mean by that and, and what is on the horizon? And I think there's quite a number of things heading in our direction. I, we've got, for example, the, um, the consumer duty, so the FCA paper, so, which has been described, interestingly, as TCF on steroids. So that's an interesting <laughs> one. <laughs> um, no, clearly, there'll be some interesting, uh, you know, interesting moves as a result of that paper. I think this whole piece around the value of advice again is is coming to the fore, and um, particularly uh, this whole question around clients paying an ongoing charge. Mm. You know, will we reach a point where actually the ambulance chasers come out and ask clients, you know, are you paying one percent for four meetings a year, and do you get them? Yeah, mm. you know, let us help you with that. So I, I think. I think demonstrating ongoing value, and obviously I alluded to that earlier in the podcast. So I think, you know, we've all seen the value assessments that asset managers have had to undergo over the last couple of years. And, and are, you know, that's now just a part of our life. To what extent will, will those kind of assessments start to apply to financial advisors? I think that might be an interesting one um to debate. I think obviously ESG, we've got regulation heading in our direction there, not just in the taxonomy, but also in terms of having to discuss sustainability preferences with clients. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a really interesting one, isn't it, for, for you and I in terms of how do we make sure that advisors then having discussed the preferences have the right investment solutions at our fingertips to help advisors with. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and and again, I always talk about if if the questions are framed in the wrong way, like what do you not want to invest in, you know, unless we can offer a client a bespoke portfolio, mm. um, then we're we're in we're in interesting territory, aren't we, with the multi-asset solutions like model portfolios, for example, where they might not meet um, for various reasons. Um, 
everybody's requirements, particularly those who have quite specific requirements in terms of delivering positive impact. So I, I think there's a I think there's interesting times ahead, Simon, in terms of regulatory. It certainly, certainly, certainly sounds like that. Uh, thankfully, we've we've got most of those areas covered in terms of bespoke and models and, and all sorts of things, haven't we? Sure. So we're we're in we're in good shape. Yeah, that uh, that and the education piece, I think, is really important. And equally, and again, this is something that you you do extremely well, is the reporting piece. So if we say that we, as active owners um, of companies, how do we engage and and what does stewardship look like? We've got to not just talk about what we do but we've got to demonstrate the positive changes that holding those companies and portfolios can make yeah as 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 those companies many of which are transitioning totally totally agree what one other um demographic trend that i'd like to finish on uh, jillian is it, and you've looked at this in, increasingly i know is is the importance of women as advisory clients uh, uh, what why why do you think this is and and do you think that the industry is actually making progress the required progress in this particular area okay um two great questions um the whole women piece um kind of came over my desk at the beginning of this year as part of the work i do in the research into wealth transfer so you know i mentioned earlier that 65 percent of people inheriting wealth will change advisor when it's um, a, a, a female typically a widow inheriting wealth um then that rises to 70% will change advisor. Now, interestingly, two-thirds of the baby boomer wealth is held in joint households. And the first point of transfer is very often, and I'm always generalising, but it's typically a husband to wife. And that's why I talk about wealth transfer happening now. Don't just wait on it transferring to the millennials. Um, So this was a really interesting, a, a whole interesting angle on the wealth transfer piece. That you know, by by 2025, 60 percent of the wealth in the UK will be in the hands of women. Wow. Yeah. So, what does that mean for advisor businesses? If, as these women told us when we did the research, they felt disengaged, um, and that advisors typically, for for many reasons, spoke predominantly to their husbands, and suddenly they get this wealth and they are not sure what to do with it. They're typically risk averse. They have a different view on passing on wealth. Interestingly, women are more likely to pass on wealth within their lifetime as mm. opposed to men who typically wait till they're no longer around. So <laughs> there's there's lots of interesting differences here. And advisors often say, gosh, this is like you. Wow, this is something I hadn't really thought about in terms of how engaged am I with both partners? Um, and, and do I just need to have a female advisor in the business? And the answer to that is no, actually. That might help for some cases, but actually it's about understanding these women and understanding why they're different and how they want to be engaged differently. And um, we've done a whole lot of research on that um, within Schroeder, so always happy to share that with anybody who's interested in this as a topic. But I think this is the one that's going to run for a while. Very interesting. I think the key part from your sentence there is is engagement, and that covers not just you know, ladies as advisory clients, but also, as you were saying before, getting to know the the, the the children of the of the existing clients. Uh, absolutely, engage engagement is absolutely key. Gillian, as always, it was a pleasure talking to you today. Uh, it's been great listening uh, to you on a very interesting topic. So thank you very much for your time. Not at all. Always a pleasure to talk to you as well, Simon.
This podcast is for investment professionals only. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation, or recommendation of any funds, services, or products, or to adopt any investment strategy.